The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, let's open our Bibles. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. We're going to finish the chapter, just 10 verses, 29 through 39. And the title of the message is God's Love for the Outcasts. God doesn't just love, you know, the in people, but God loves all people. And in every generation in society, there's always some people that are kind of in, and then there's other people that are kind of out. And we're going to read in this story how Jesus reveals the heart of God, God the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. They're always in communication. If you want to know what does God the Father think about this, or what would he do in that situation, or how would he respond, look at Jesus. And you'll know exactly, because he is the mirror, the express image of God. So, beginning in Matthew 15, verse 29, we read this. Jesus departed from there, and then he skirted the Sea of Galilee. So, he's up in the north of Israel, the Sea of Galilee, skirted the Sea of Galilee. means he's kind of going to a new area, a new shore, which will be a new territory that he doesn't generally go. And then he went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then people heard about it, and great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet. So here's the first, uh, we've got a handful of life lessons. So number one, Jesus healed them all. And again, this marks a unique time in Jesus' ministry uh, when he did his healing and, and did his miracle, you know, provision. He's, he's going to heal a bunch of people, and he's going to feed a bunch of people in a predominantly Gentile area of Galilee. So this happened on the eastern side uh, of the Sea of Galilee. It's the region known as the Decapolis. So I've, I've got a map up here, and I just kind of want to give you a little, you know, idea. We've got Jerusalem, the little red dot here. That's where Jerusalem is in southern Israel, the territory of the tribe of Judah. Now, you, you see there's two uh, blue uh, bodies of water. There's one in the south, pretty big. That's the Dead Sea, all right? So it's kind of next to and below Jerusalem. But the little blue one up in the north, you see the word Galilee. That's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent the majority of his three-and-a-half-year ministry on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But having said that, I want you to know he spent the majority of the time on the, what would be your left or the western side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the predominantly Jewish area. Now we're reading about a story where Jesus gets into, the, uh, into a boat and he goes to the other side, Decapolis. See the word Decapolis. What does Decapolis mean? Deca means ten. Polis in Greek means city. Ten cities. These were Gentiles, non-Jews. Jesus is crossing the borders into another area, into another territory, among another people to bring the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Now, for those who were here with us last week, we did the story of the, you know, Jesus went north. Here he's kind of going east. But last week he went north into Lebanon and to the cities of Tyre and Sidon. And there there was a woman who was a Canaanite. Remember, the Canaanites were the ones that that were replaced by the Jews in the promised land. She's, a, you know, she's from a Gentile area, pagan area. Uh, she is, uh, you know, a Canaanite. 
And Jesus, she is crying out to Jesus, and he brings out this great faith. Oh, woman, great faith you have. And he heals her daughter, who is demonically, severely possessed. I believe that that Gentile woman and her great faith, not just faith, but great faith, opened a window of the kingdom of heaven. And the next story we read is Jesus going to the Decapolis, the Gentile side. He wants to bring an explosion of healing, supernatural, deliverances, uh, ministry, and then a miracle of feeding a bunch of people. So, um, you know, I want to just say this, that there was, uh, by the way, um, Friday, I was asked by my friend, a good friend of mine, Miles McPherson. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Miles McPherson in the Rock Church? Okay, so Miles calls me up and he goes, hey, Ray, I got invited to go up to K-Wave and to be on a show with Pastor Brian Broderson from Calvary Costa Mesa, he wants to talk about my book. Um, so Miles has written a new book. It's called The Third Option. And it's basically a book to the body of Christ about all the racism and stuff that's happening in our society. And from Miles' perspective and view, and, and so Miles had given me a book and, and I've been reading it. And I was telling him, man, Miles, you are blowing my mind. I am learning so much and I'm getting so much out of it. So then he calls me, he goes, well, hey, come up, you know, with me, you know, Brian and the Calvaries and all that. And so we rode up and back and just had an incredible time. And so getting to know Miles, his stories, you know, from New York and, and I, so he has uh, kind of a mixed a little bit, you know, black grandparents on the one side and the other side, half black, half something else. I don't remember right now, but then one white grandmother. So he goes, so I'm kind of in between. He goes, but where I where I was, I was sent to a school in New York where pretty much everybody was white and, and just a couple of, of black kids. So I went there and I experienced all this weird attitude, racism and stuff against me because I didn't look like them. Then every day from school, I would go home and because I was lighter skinned than them, I got other attitudes and things. So he goes, I've kind of been in kind of in between in two worlds my whole life. And it's very strange. And so, you know, Brian and I were there on the radio and talking about, so what's it like and growing up with that? And he goes, well, there's things you don't even think about. You don't even know. You know, it's not that you're overtly trying to be racist, but he goes, it'd be like this. Um, he goes, you know, like in, in the 50s when, you know, they made a classroom and everybody got a desk. Basically, all the desks were for right-handed people. And so what that means is you got a place to write and you got a little area there you can lean your elbow on. But if you happen to be left-handed, they didn't make any for the left-handed people. Have we got any left-handed people in here? My wife's left-handed. So all of a sudden, just that perspective, like, you know, you go to your kid, you want to go play baseball, let's go get a glove. And they're all right-handed gloves. Well, where's the left-handed gloves? Oh, you got to go to another store, three stores, or you play golf and they're all right-handed. And where's the left-handed golf clubs? So anyway, so, you know, you can relate to that. He goes, that's kind of what it's like when you grow up in an environment where everything, you know, it's not that it was bad, but it just, that's kind of, they made it for the general situation, but you're on the other side of it. He goes, you know, every time I go up to shake somebody's hand, I want to go like this and I have to train myself, no, go like that. So anyway, it was very, uh, very interesting. Well, I want you to know that in 2000 years ago, not all but some of the Jewish people personified in some of the Pharisees, they had racism against anyone who is Gentile. 
And basically what, you know, racism is, as Miles explained to me, it's basically, you know, to boil it all down, any group of people who says we're superior to that group of people that's different from us. And he goes, look, right from the beginning, if you're a believer, you know God made man in his image and his likeness, male and female, we all come back from God. We're all expressing the image of God. Racism was you think we're better than them and that it's not true. So uh, Pharisees prayed. These are the religious guys. They're representing, we're the, we work the hardest to follow the laws and commandments of God and the robes and everything. And they, this is one of their daily prayers of some, not all, the Pharisees. Thank you that I was not born a Gentile. Thank you that I was not born a woman. Thank you I was not born a dog. Amen. <laughs> that's what they prayed. Uh, would you agree that? That's a, that sounds racist. We're better than them. So if you're in the white group and you say, we're better than the black people, and the black people say, well, we're better than the Hispanic people, and the Hispanic people say, well, we're better than the Chinese people, but then you could go the other way, no, and work the other way, that's racist. That is not what the kingdom of heaven is, and that's why Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's why he went to Decapolis. That's why he went to the Gentiles. That's why he went to reveal the love of God, because God doesn't just love Israel and the Jewish people. They were the beginning of his chosenness, but they, the idea was they would be the doorway because God loves all the families of the earth. Can I hear an amen on that? So this is a beautiful picture of Christ's power and position. And I want you to know, all he did, he just went into an area where nobody looked like him. He was Jewish. A whole Gentile area, and he just sat on top of a mountain. And what happened? Multitudes came to him. Multitudes of Gentiles, non-Jews. They didn't read the scriptures. They didn't follow Moses. They didn't like the Ten Commandments. They had their own pagan, their own religion, gods and goddesses. But they were drawn to this Jewish man who said, I'm from heaven, and I am revealing the kingdom of God. All he did was sit on a mountain, and they were drawn to him. And I believe, and the beautiful thing about this is, when they came, none were cast away. He heals them all. No prescriptions were needed. No questions were asked. No fee was required. There was nothing but immediate, spontaneous, supernatural healing. Heaven came to the earth through Jesus. Hallelujah. So, look, there's a scripture in Isaiah 45, verse 22. Let's read this out loud together. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now, here's the truth that pierced the Gentile deal. You got all these sick people, lame people, all these problems and everything, And by them coming to this Jewish Messiah, they were saying, I don't care that he's Jewish or the prejudice that Gentiles had toward Jews, which, by the way, to this day, multitudes of Gentiles are prejudiced against Jews. That's just as wrong. So they came and they go, we don't care because our gods, our religion ain't doing nothing for us. And this guy has power. He speaks like no one ever spoke. He has power no one's ever seen. We don't even care. Jewish, whatever. We want my mom healed, my dad healed, my brother, my sister, whatever. And they brought them to him. It's a beautiful story. And the other interesting thing about this, that's different than all the other stories in the Jewish area where Jesus kept talking about have faith and believe in me. Why, why did he emphasize faith to the Jewish people? 
Because they had all the scriptures and all the promises and all the prophecies. This is what the Messiah will look like. So believe what your prophet said and then watch the miracles that happen. What's interesting in this story in the Gentile area, we read nothing about any great faith on the part of those who were healed. They didn't know the prophecies. They, didn't, they just knew this guy heals people. We heard about him. We don't care anything else. Uh, we'll believe him, but we want to be healed. And they brought them to Jesus' feet. Now, in verse 31, I want you to note this. Jesus reveals he has the power to touch and heal every area of our lives. Verse 31, it says, so the multitude marveled. They, their jaws dropped in modern English when they saw the mute speaking. The maimed made whole, the lame walking around, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus revealed in this mass healing, he has the power to touch everything. Number one, the lame. Those with legs that are unequal, whose walk is unsteady, they have many up and down experiences. And look, it's, a, it's bad in modern times to have a bad leg, but imagine going back several thousand years. They didn't have handicap this and that, and, and a lot of times you're an extra burden on the family, and there was pride and prejudice. They just said, man, just go out and beg, and they would ostracize them from the family. But on a spiritual level, there are many Christians who vainly try to walk uh, with, with God, but they're limping. They're not really trusting God. They're lame on the inside. And look, if you're lame, if you've got a weakness and you've got problems or whatever, Come to Jesus. We can bring all of our weaknesses to him, for he maketh the lame to walk. He will make your life straight. He will fulfill you with purpose. Secondly, the blind. And look, if it's hard to, you know, if you're blind in modern times, but there's, there's things that we have, and even, you know, sometimes when you're blind, you don't see the day and the night, and, and they have pills to help you balance all of that. They had nothing like that 2,000 years ago. So here were these people living a very difficult life, and yet God would have mercy upon them. But I want to say not only does God heal physically blind eyes, but God and the Lord Jesus heals spiritually blind eyes. There are multitudes of people, they see fine, they're cruising around, but man, they are walking in darkness and an ever greater darkness. Jesus said the eye is the lamp and the light of the body, but where there is darkness on the inside, how great is that darkness? Now, a week ago, I got to tell you this story real quick. Vicki and I uh, were invited by some very dear, precious friends uh, of ours, a couple that goes to the church, and they knew me, you know, many years ago when I was back with Horizon and Mike McIntosh and pastoring over there, and we became friends, and and so they invited us kind of last minute, hey, there's this uh, play about C.S. Lewis, this guy named Max McLean. I don't know if you've ever heard of Max McLean. He's got a great voice, kind of an English accent. Why, English people, they could read anything, and it just sounds cool. <laughs> and then we went over here, and I am telling you. Anyway, it just sounds cool. Well, Max McLean did a one-man play where he became C.S. Lewis and kind of did an anthology of his whole life. So, you know, if you know about C.S. Lewis... Uh, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, all the books that he wrote, he affected millions of people's lives. Many people don't know now because he's gone, but he was an atheist. And he said, I don't, he was really, really, really smart, you know, Oxford, Cambridge, and all of that. Um, but he said, there's no God. He was nonsense, you know, that's medieval, you know, that people would believe in God. 
And then all of a sudden, uh, God started working on him, and, and he got this book by this guy named George McDonald, a book called Fantasties. And C.S. Lewis, it, you know, his story, it's an Irish storyteller, but it had kind of Christ in there, the gospels in there. And he says, from the time I read page one until I came to the last page, he goes, I don't know what happened to me. He said, but my imagination got baptized, and by the end of reading this book by this George MacDonald Irish storyteller, I knew that there was a God. He goes, I didn't become a Christian, uh, or let alone go to church, but I went, dang it, there's a God. There has to be a God. You know, so he talks about how, you know, I just, he, he wanted not to believe in God, and, you know, very, very desperately. He said, but finally I was cornered into, so you have to believe that billions of cells that randomly smash into each other in your brain make you a logical, thinking, conscious person. He goes, the very fact that you think and reason, let alone have consciousness, kind of unravels with billions of cells with no meaning and random just smashing into each other mean anything. So he goes, dang it, there's a God. Okay. He goes, but I'm not going to become a Christian and certainly not go to church. So then he becomes friends with this guy named J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote a series of books called The Lord of the Rings. You ever heard of it? Some nice movies that went out. Tolkien was a believer in Jesus Christ. So he goes, so C.S., I mean, it's great. Now you know there's a God, but man, that's only half the story. God has a son, and he came to earth from heaven, and he revealed the whole deal. It's Jesus. And he goes, oh, I don't want to hear about that Jesus. What do I do with Jesus? And, and he goes, look, I believe Jesus was a great man, maybe the greatest man that ever lived, one of the greatest teachers that there ever was. And, and there's nothing wrong that I can find with him, but I don't believe that, you know, and so his friend Tolkien says, no, 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 you don't understand. You, you, he didn't leave you that option. He goes, what do you mean he didn't leave me that option? I respect him. I honor him. He had a certain value that can be to this day. He goes, no, but he didn't leave you that option because Jesus claimed he was God. C.S. Lewis goes, well, well what, what do you mean? He goes, he said he was God. What are you going to do with that? He goes, well, he's a good man. He goes, no, he claimed to be God. Now, if he claimed he was God and he's not, either he is a lunatic. We call people that think they're God, not so. You know, they got little things flying around in their head and we put them in a room and, you know, tie them up. <laughs> he's a lunatic. Do you, are you saying Jesus was nuts and a lunatic? Well, no, I'm not saying that. He goes, well, then the only other option is he's a liar. Because if he said he was God and he knew he wasn't God, he's lying and a no liar can be a good moral teacher. Goes, I'm not saying he's a liar. He goes, well, if you can't say that he's a liar and you can't say he's a lunatic, he said he was God. Buddha didn't say he was God. Muhammad didn't say he was God. Confucius didn't say he was God. He's the only man in human history that started something from heaven to the earth, and he said, I am God. So if he's not a lunatic and you can't say he's a liar, then he must be who he said he was. And if that's so, and so he's like, dang it. He said, so he came, he said, I came skidding my heels, grabbing onto things. I was the most reluctant, yelling, screaming guy that ever came a believer in Jesus. He finally said a prayer and gave his life to the Lord. He goes, then I go to church. He goes, oh my gosh, boring. 
I'm thinking, wow, I'm a pastor, wow, you know. He goes, those songs, endless songs. He goes, and then the, you know, the minister is just, do they think at all? If I need a tonic to go to sleep, I listen to a sermon. Anyway, I, I could go on into the whole thing. But God opens the eyes of the blind. He opens the, the voice of the dumb. There are those who can walk. There are those who can see but their lips are sealed. Let me tell you that, look, if God is real, the devil is real. God's plan is to give you a voice that can sing and praise and worship and enjoy and his, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, but the devil wants to ruin you, maim you, make you make mistakes. He'll tempt you into making a huge mistake and a regret. And then as soon as he tempts you and you do it, then he mocks you and says, what an idiot, what a fool. You can never go to heaven. You can never say anything and you lose your voice. So not only can God open the physical voice, but there are many who walk around life and they're basically mute. They, they, they are under so much shame and guilt that they have no voice and therefore they can have no joy. The Lord opens the mouth of those who cannot speak and he gives them a voice and he fills them with joy for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? Amen. And then the maimed, hands and feet, they have even tongues for God but sin has maimed them. And, and then many others, whatever is not covered earlier, he healed them all, all sorts of ailments. Truly anything that hinders our joy and God and our testimony for him may be healed, for he healed them all. And then the last thing I want you to notice in verse 31, they glorified the God of Israel. What? Decapolis? Pagans? Gentiles? worship, you know, idol worshipers, when they saw Jesus, heard Jesus, were touched by Jesus, healed by Jesus, delivered by Jesus, they said, now we know the truth. We have been as a people deceived. The true God is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus came as the fulfillment of that. So this crowd, which was predominantly Gentile, learned by the presence of Jesus to praise the God of Israel for their gods had done nothing for them in their suffering. Well, I want you to write down this last one. This is our last life lesson. We're going to have communion in just a few moments. But verses 32 through 39 is the last story. This is where Jesus miraculously heals or miraculously feeds a bunch of people. So the doorway of the kingdom of heaven is always compassion. Look with me in verse 32. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself. And he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Some people say that this miracle and the other one, you know, that Jesus fed all the people is that, oh, there was a little boy with a lunch. And Jesus said, well, let's take that, bless it and share it. And then it encouraged everybody to say, oh, well, we have our lunch too. And so we'll all share it that that was the miracle. No, that was not the miracle. What happened was people that were desperate and they had somebody that was lame or blind or dumb or oppressed or whatever, and they bring them to Jesus and then they get healed and they're walking and, and they are speaking and they are seeing and, and then they hear Jesus and they just stayed there. They didn't plan on it, but now literally day and night, I mean, if you could see be with Jesus, you, you can imagine a man just three days goes like that and you're seeing things that are like, wow, this is like heaven on earth. I don't want to go home. So it had been three days. 
It was definitely a miracle. And Jesus had compassion on them. He loved them. I want you to know this. There's no group or kind of people that we are not called to love. We are free. And by the way, do you know what anger, hatred, bitterness, resentment, uh, pride, uh, you know, and racism toward other people were better than them? You know what? That takes a lot of energy. It'll sap you. We weren't made to hold that kind of poison and toxin inside of us. Even physiologically, it starts weakening your immune system and diseases start settling into you. God just made it that way. So here's the good news, man. We get, to, we get to love everybody. There's nobody that we cannot love. He loves everybody. So in him, we are the mirror of his image. We get to love everybody and appreciate, you know what? I like variety. You guys like variety? What if every flower on the stinking planet was just all one color, white? And then somebody threw a red rose in there. And then they go, well, wait a second, what are, you, what are you doing? You know, it's like, hey, could we have a bouquet of red and white and black and brown and blue and whatever else? I mean, how many of you love variety? God loves variety. We can honor the uniqueness, the difference. So I got something you don't have. You got something I don't have. I'll give you what I got. You give me what I, you have. We put it together, and it's bigger than the individual parts. Amen? That's the love of God. That's the kingdom of God. There are some that have actually made the accusation that, no, this story is not another. It's the same story, the 5,000 that were fed, and it's just they conflated everything together. So I want to show you real, real quick. These are two different stories. Number one, the first story was 5,000 people fed. This one is 4,000. By the way, that's only men, so you've got to multiply it by four or five, the real crowd. Number two, the 5,000 was primarily Jews who Jesus miraculously fed. The 4,000 are primarily Gentiles. Number three, it was near Bethsaida, the western side. This one's the Decapolis, which is the Gentile side. Number four, that, that was five loaves and two fish. In this one, it's seven loaves and a few fish. Number five, there were 12 baskets left over, kind of like for the 12 tribes of Israel, as with the Jewish people. Now, seven baskets left over. Seven is the number of completion. I love all the nations. The whole gospel for the whole world. Number six, it was spring because they were near grass. This one, near, it's probably summer because there was no grass. Number seven, at the end of it, the Jewish people tried to make him king because they had the prophecies of God's word and they knew what that was about. Here, there's no such response, basically because they didn't, never read it or were taught it. So note that this is a unique story. Jesus specifically took a bunch of non-Jews and said, my father made you, loves you, wants to heal you, bless you, deliver you, set you free, and has a purpose and a plan for your life. Man, that's, that's the whole world gets included in that. So Jesus does what he alone can do, the creative miracle, and he left the disciples to do what they could do, which is share and pass it out. God will do his part if you do your part. And here's the deal. He says, if you'll just keep passing it on, it will never end. The supply will always be there. And you get to actually partner in the miracle of what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.